I'm Rachel Grimm, and welcome to the podcast with all your mind. I'm here to help us understand the Bible with cultural and historical context, linguistic info, and other cool stuff. Enjoy. All right, good afternoon, guys. This is Rachel, and this is with all your mind. Welcome back. Guess what? We are almost at the end of this season for the podcast. Um, yeah, we only have maybe two-ish more episodes after this one. I haven't decided yet if I'm going to put two little topics together into one episode or make it two separate ones. So we might have only two or three more episodes total, but yeah, we're pretty close to the end. I hope you've enjoyed this season. I think it's been a lot of topics that people don't think about as much, but maybe lurk in the background of your life. Um, we're going to take the summer off. Um, well, I'm taking the summer off. I don't know if it means you're taking the summer off. But um, I'm not going to record anything in the summer. And I'm definitely not doing any big series or anything. I might do just a few episodes towards the end of the summer to give you some ideas of what we're going to be doing in the fall. And by the fall, I mean early September or so. I already have a big old plan going for what we're doing in the fall. Details are not nailed down, so if there's something that you would like for me to talk about or get into, I can definitely take that into consideration. But yeah, I'm really looking forward to next fall because I feel like we're going to move back to some ways of doing things and topics that will be really useful and helpful to people and really interesting too. <laughs> so what are we doing today? Christianese, right? And this is because as we start to wind down for the season, I wanted to back off of the really dense uh, kind of academic topics and talk about something a little bit more simple, a little bit more maybe closer to home and a little bit more playful. So <laughs> Christianese is actually one of my pet peeves. <laughs> so I'm not a big old fan of Christianese and we'll talk about why because I think I have some valid reasons in there and part of it is just, you know, me being cranky about it. But yeah, I have some reasons behind it. So if you've never heard the phrase Christianese, and I think, I don't know, that seems like a common one, right? It's just basically talking about all the words and phrases and vocabulary that Christians use that the rest of the world either doesn't want to use or doesn't need to use, or it's just not normal to them. So this is vocabulary, words, phrases, that are typically used in evangelical Protestant Christianity. Uh, if you ever wonder what I mean by that, I'm just talking about like your Bible churches, your Baptist churches, anything that's kind of like vanilla Protestant, that's probably Protestant evangelical, okay? So a lot of Christianese is used within these evangelical Protestant Christianity, but it can be found to a certain extent in every branch of Christianity because, well, we'll get into it. We'll get into why. So let's talk about some examples so that you know specifically what I'm talking about. Different words or phrases that if you go into a church and just strike up a conversation with somebody, you'll, you're bound to hear at least one of these phrases. Hey, you should play, <laughs> we should play Christianese bingo sometime. To go into church with a bingo card and see how many of these phrases you hear. <laughs> see if you can get bingo. If it distracts you from 
from God and the Bible. Don't do it. Okay, maybe this is a bad idea. Never mind. Don't do this. It's a bad idea. Okay, so some examples of Christianese using the term brother and sister just to talk about another Christian. Uh, using some of that sim terminology that we used in a previous episode, sin, transgression, iniquity, that can be considered Christianese. Love feast. Have you ever heard this one? Love feast. Hedge of protection. Backsliding. To love up on somebody. To do life together. Fellowship. Traveling mercies. And even really simple words like saint and consecrate and redemption. So different parts of the church also use different terms for same things or similar things, such as communion versus Eucharist, or mass versus service. In the Catholic church, they talk about going to mass. In the Protestant church, you typically talk about just going to church or going to a church service. In the Catholic church, they have priests In Protestant churches, they have pastors or other, sometimes it's just an elder that leads the church. So all of these things are Christian terms, but different branches of Christianity might use some slightly different terminology for similar things or things in the same role. Now, all of this is an example of jargon. Jargon is vocabulary that's very specific to a workplace or a subculture or other, some specific environment where you need, you need certain vocabulary, you need certain terms to understand technical elements. So I'm going to give you a few examples of different workplaces where we definitely have jargon, different terminology to talk about technical stuff. So in a corporate office, maybe not so technical, but kind of like the culture of an office, you end up with phrases like circle back, put a pin in it, reach out to someone or table a conversation. And that kind of corporate office terminology has leaked into other places too. Teachers definitely have their own jargon with developmental goals, curriculum, scaffolding, kinesthetic intelligence, and manipulatives. Linguists have things like the IPA. And no, it's not a beer. (laughs) It's the International Phonetic Alphabet graphemes, syllabary, and aspect of a verb. So a linguist could say, and I'll do this one because I love linguistic terminology, a linguist could say, oh, that grapheme is represented in the IPA, but not all syllabaries contain it. That could be a sentence that a linguist says, and it makes perfect sense to some people, and your eyes might have glazed over. So if you're a plumber or an electrician or whatever, you understand what your coworkers are talking about, but somebody on the outside might have no clue, right? So when we talk about Christian jargon, there is an aspect of, yeah, it's necessary to a point, right? We have to appreciate and respect that Christianity needs technical jargon. It's a specific culture or subculture or whatever you want to call it that has specific ideas and concepts that need specific vocabulary to go along with it, right? So like I said, sin, iniquity, and transgression sound really old-fashioned, but we need to have them in the Bible because they have specific meanings that go along with them. But when you take jargon or specific terminology too far, it can either be a problem 
or it can be made fun of, or both, you know. Even the term Christianese, I didn't realize this before I started um, doing research for this, was that the term Christianese can actually be seen as insulting or condescending because it's inherently at least a little bit making fun of that terminology. So let's look at how Christianese works. What are we talking about and what does it do? What effects does it have? So one of the books that I read last fall, actually two books, <laughs> I read two books in a series of, of two, <laughs> um, was uh, about the history of Christianity. And it went from about 100 AD all the way up to modern times. It was a thousand pages between the two books. So I figured that was about as concise as it was going to get when you're talking about 2000 years of history. So I figured that's not too bad. But one of the things it was talking about was persecution in the early church, like the 100s AD or 200s AD, really early on before Constantine kind of legalized Christianity in the 300s, there was a lot of persecution. And there was a lot of details to this story, but I'm going to summarize it down that basically early Christians, because of the Bible, you know, a lot of our jargon is taken straight from the Bible. It's not like we just pulled these things out of thin air and it's like, ta-da, I have a new word to talk about communion with. Now, a lot of this jargon is taken straight from the Bible, but it's coming from a subculture. It's coming from a specific portion of society from the Bible that doesn't represent all of human culture, right? So it's different from other cultures. So early Christians were misunderstood and rumors went around about them based on their terminology around their Christianese, such as calling each other brother and sister. So there was confusion about, is this a family? Is this like a cult where everybody is adopted into the same family? And then they had something called love feasts, which actually does appear in the Bible. It's in the book of Jude. And a love feast was originally just like a, a, a meal a dinner together or a lunch. And communion was sometimes taken as a part of this love feast, and sometimes it wasn't. So it was kind of associated with communion. But these love feasts, and they called them love feasts, were done with their brothers and sisters. So outsiders, non-Christians in the Roman Empire were like, are they having like an orgy over there? with their brothers and sisters? Is this like an incestuous thing going on? What is this? So there's confusion about that. And then worse, it gets even better or worse, is that Christians would talk about communion. And you know, communion is the metaphorical body and blood of Jesus. And if you're Catholic, you believe that it is the literal body and blood of Jesus. Either way, it's talked about as the body and blood of Jesus. So you talk about taking communion, and then they would talk about how Jesus was a baby, and now suddenly the rumor is that early Christians were killing babies and eating them. And this was not at all helped by the fact that Christians, early Christians, were known to adopt babies that were abandoned. And so if you were somebody in the Roman Empire just do 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 walking down the street of Rome and you see a Christian find a baby on the street cuz this would happen from time to time they would often take it home and then you hear about them having communion body and blood of a baby you're horrified and you're like oh my goodness they're eating babies over there. So these were some of the types of rumors that would circulate 
because of the terminology. Do Christians eat babies? No. Do they rip apart anything, any bloody anything to eat it to commemorate Jesus' death? No. Do they have incestuous orgies? They better not be. So all of these rumors were easily debunked, but just the fact that there were rumors based on misunderstandings, based on language, yeah, that still happens today, I'm pretty sure. So yeah, things can be misunderstood pretty easily. Um, but let's let's talk about some of the other kinds of Christianese that we run into and define them. Make sure that we actually know what we're talking about, okay? So number one, <laughs> love feast. Let's attack that one head on. Uh, this is early Christian, so it's been around for as long as Christianity has been around for because it was found first in the book of Jude. And it is the meal that early Christians had together. So if they had like basically quote unquote church services, they would often start it or finish it with a meal. And it was somewhat associated with communion because sometimes communion would be a part of it. And it's not, so you might hear in more traditional circles, maybe more old fashioned churches talk about love feast, but it's very rare to hear this anymore. And if Christians get together for a meal, you'd much more often call it a potluck or sometimes a fellowship meal. Not at all a love feast anymore. The next one, traveling mercies. I used to hear this a lot more and I grew up as a missionary kid. So I visited a lot of different churches. So I ran into lots of different ways that people would talk about different things. And I would hear the term traveling mercies. And this seems to have died out just in maybe the last 20 years or so. But traveling mercies, it turns out, became popular, a popular term in the 1800s, late 1800s, before missionaries would travel to a different country. And late 1800s, this was before commercial air travel. So these missionaries would be traveling by ship um, if they were, yeah, they were most likely traveling by ship, which was not at all a guaranteed way to be actually delivered to your destination. So they would start praying for traveling mercies. Basically, God, please let these people at least get to their destination before they die, uh, kind of thing. So traveling mercies just became a term, a popular term for how to pray for missionaries to make it to where they were going. And then um, it just became popular to start praying about that for everyday travel or for bigger trips for ordinary anybody. It was popular in the 1900s, not a biblical term, and it's kind of died back since then, for sure. I haven't heard it in a long time. Next one, hedge of protection. And this one was actually really interesting to look into because I had been reading in Isaiah, and Isaiah is one of the places that you'll find this term. So this one, though, hedge of protection, that whole phrase is actually nowhere in the Bible, which I was surprised by. I thought it for sure the whole thing was in there. But the word hedge is just by itself found in several places. One of the places is in Job 1, when Satan is complaining to God that he, God, has put a hedge around Job, and he was basically untouchable, like Job couldn't be touched by Satan and it's used in other places, such as Isaiah 5. And let me kind of give a description of this. This is where God is talking about Israel as a vineyard. And this analogy to talk about the nation of Israel in biblical times 
was used, you know, it's used in a couple of different places through the Bible, New Testament and Old Testament. And previously, God had talked about Israel being a, like his personal vineyard, a place that he was cultivating and that he had set up with everything that it needed for protection, for nourishment. So he talked about digging out, you know, kind of like plowing the ground and planting and building a wall and building a watchtower and planting a hedge. So this was the way that he had provided for the vineyard. This is the way he cared for the vineyard and gave it everything that it needed, kind of the way that he had provided for Israel as a nation. And because of Israel's rebellion to God and disobedience and going after other gods and idolatry and all this stuff, God had said that he was going to send them into captivity, send them away from their own land. And in the analogy of the vineyard, it was that he was going to break down the vineyard. He was going to destroy the vineyard. And he was going to start that process by first ripping out the hedge. So what the hedge is, is just basically a row of bushes. And if you imagine those really nicely cut, really like shaved bushes, that line a sidewalk or like kind of like a secret garden kind of picture in your head. That's a hedge. In the Bible, hedges were planted around vineyards and fields as a way to basically build a cheap and natural wall. And they were made out of thorny bushes so that animals didn't even want to crawl through to get to whatever was inside. So a hedge was a thorny row of bushes. It was the first line of defense against predators, against attackers, against anything that you would want to keep out of your field or your vineyard. And so that's what God was going to rip out first. So I realized I had a really good image of this in my head. And that is that at our house here in Pennsylvania, we have almost an acre of property, which means we have a a pretty huge yard. We can do pretty much whatever we want in it and we would never run out of space. But bordering the back line of it is brush. We call it the brush. And it's basically woods, um, but it's really dense with thorny bushes. And they're these really long, skinny, uh, they're almost like raspberry canes that stick up and they just have thorns all over them. And we had a guy one time go back there with a weed eater with one of those metal blades on it. And he just like destroyed everything back there. And because we have to beat it back regularly or I'll try and take over the yard. And whenever we go up there, like I, I throw up there like watermelon rind and corn husks and stuff like that. And whenever we go up there, I have to tell my boys that they're not allowed in there because it's so dense with thorns that there's no way (laughs) that we're ever going to be able to go back in there and like play or like build a fort or something because of those thorns. It's a natural deterrent. You do not want to hang out back there. That's a hedge. That's a hedge of protection. So that has become Christianese in that people will pray for each other that God would give this person or that person a hedge of protection, meaning defend them thoroughly from anything bad, right? So it's biblical. It's a pretty good term. It's very descriptive. I think it can just be a little bit overused because we don't always remember specifically what it means, but that's what it means. Um, Some other examples of jargon 
that are technical terms that are good to have because they have specific meanings are sin, iniquity, transgression, but also words like consecration, atonement, redemption, righteous, all of these words. And even the word I realized, oh yeah, the word saint, that's a really good one. It's technical. It means something specific. And we don't really use them outside of the Bible or biblical conversations, basically. The only one that I thought we definitely do use sometimes is redeem or redemption. When we redeem a coupon or a movie character can redeem themselves. But basically outside of that, there's a bunch of words that we use for the Bible to talk about Christianity that mean something specific. So we need them, but we need to remember what they mean too. All right, last one backsliding. This means to fall away from your convictions and practices as a Christian. And I thought for sure that this would be a modern word, maybe from the 1800s or something, and that it wouldn't be in the Bible. That was my my idea. That was my perception. Um, but no, it's in the Bible. It was coined in the 1500s and then first used around the time of the King James Bible. So it's pretty original to talking about the Bible in English, seeing as the first English Bible was in the 1300s. But it is found in a bunch of places in Jeremiah and a handful of times in a few other books. So that one, that's basically a biblical word. All right, so let's recap the pros and cons of Christianese, all right? At times, it's necessary and good to be precise to be specific with words like sin, iniquity, transgression, consecration, redemption. And it can help us talk efficiently, quickly, easily about something that Christians should be familiar with, like communion and baptism. Baptism is another one. But the downsides are that it can alienate or confuse non-Christians and new Christians. If you immediately start talking to somebody that just became a Christian two months ago about backsliding and consecration and atonement and loving up on each other, they're going to be probably a little weirded out by that, unless they've been around that kind of language for a while. They're going to be either confused or weirded out by that. I know I'm always weirded out by the term love up on somebody. It just sounds kind of sleazy, honestly. Yeah. But then here's a pro and a con, okay? This is something that, depending on the circumstance, can be a good thing or an okay thing, and it can be a bad thing too. Christianese in general can be used to talk generally about something rather than specifically, okay? So here's some examples. When somebody says, I'm blessed, what does that mean? It's very general. I don't know what it means. If somebody says, I'm struggling, what does that mean? It's not specific. If somebody says that they're in a season of, and fill in the blank, this is a common one. They're in a season of waiting. They're in a season of hardship. They're in a season of blessing. They're in a season of grace. That one, I have no clue what that means. And then if they say, let's fellowship together, do they want to pray together or do they want to watch football together? I am not so sure. But these are examples of terms that are used in order to be general, 
they don't always want to be specific. And I think this is where Christianese can break down and be not so good or not so helpful anyway. So Christianese can be more or less helpful, more or less inclusive and welcoming, or just <laughs> more or less weird, and more or less specific and efficient in communication. So when, when somebody says that they're blessed, I'm usually more confused now <laughs> than I was before I asked them how they were doing uh, because the phrase started to lose meaning for me. I didn't know what the person was trying to say. I didn't know if they were just trying to say that they were happy. I didn't know if they were saying that something good had happened and they were happy about it. I didn't know if they were trying to say that nothing good was happening, but they were okay in spite of it. Were they just trying to sound positive without really saying anything at all? Were they trying to look like a good Christian but didn't want to talk about their reality? And I've heard many people or read many people say that they felt blessed, but they were just talking about their stuff. They were just talking about how happy they were with their condition in life, like having lots of stuff or having a nice house or, and I saw this one in a couple, like a, a month or so ago somebody was really blessed and they were happy because they got a new house and it was a really fancy house. So sometimes I'll ask people, what do you mean when you say that you're blessed? And sometimes they'll have really good answers and other times not so much. Another one is that I have been a part of a Bible study and I would hear people talking about Christian principles and ideas, but only talking about them using analogies and cliches and not really defining what they were talking about. So they would talk about the righteousness of Christ being like clothing. There's a phrase in the Bible talking about being clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And so being clothed in righteousness makes us covered. But the problem was that nobody explained what righteousness meant in the first place. And this is kind of related that I've heard Christians talk about being uplifted but I don't think I've ever heard anybody explain exactly what that means or how it works. So when you feel uplifted, does that mean you're encouraged? Does that mean you have hope? I'm not sure what people mean when they say that one either, though it's, that's a simpler one. So what I see with Christianese is a tendency to use words that we feel like we should understand. And we use them in order to fit in or create an image, or maintain an image, or try to connect with other Christians, or even try to connect with God. The emptiness is that we don't necessarily understand what we're saying, and I don't know what it means anymore, and I'm not sure if they know what they are saying anymore. So I avoid, I personally avoid Christianese for a few reasons, and it's part of my personality, first of all, but here are my reasons for why I avoid Christianese. Number one, it's to challenge myself to find other words to use so that I know I'm understanding what I'm saying. If I just use Christianese, it's kind of parroting, repeating what other people have said, and I don't necessarily need to understand it for myself. So I try to avoid that. Number two, I avoid Christianese so that I don't have to code switch. That means I don't need to change my language depending on who I'm talking to. I don't like that. It feels fake to me. It feels weird to me. So the next time you use some Christianese or old cliches about Christianity or the Bible, check yourself to see if you're just saying stuff or if you know what you're saying and it's true. 
like this. Here's a few examples. Number one, when you say you'll pray about something, are you actually going to pray about it? Or was that an easy way to kind of delay an answer? Number two, when you say you're blessed, do you know what that means? And how would you say it in other words? And I know sometimes Christians use blessed to kind of replace lucky because lucky implies not trusting God and blessed kind of means good things from God. You know what the source is. So I understand that, but is there another way that you could say it without using the word blessed? And number three, do you know what righteousness means? Or could you explain the idea of baptism or communion to someone if they had never been in a church and never read the Bible? And that's some of the ways that you can check your understanding on stuff is to use different words or explain your idea to somebody else. If you can't use different words, you probably don't know what that idea or word really means. You might feel like you understand the concept and do, and this is important. (laughs) This is really important. You might be able to appreciate the idea or concept very well, but you might not understand it cognitively. Does that make sense? It's a very different thing to understand something versus to appreciate something. And it's fine if you can appreciate it, but you don't understand it, but don't stay there, right? So we need to be able to understand these things, if only just to be able to explain it to somebody else, you know? But it makes the world much more concrete. It makes you much more able to apply concepts if you actually understand them. All right. So one reason that Christianese is a pet peeve of mine is that using Christianese can be used to disguise the fact that we don't really know what we're talking about. We're faking our understanding. We're creating an image of who and what we are. And that causes all sorts of problems. And these problems are the real pet peeve of mine. Um, Number one, it dilutes understanding. It makes it so that we're not really understanding concepts in the Bible or what we're talking about. Number two, when you use too much Christianese, it can really create fear and pride. And this is an odd one to mention, but I think it's a really big one. Pride, it can create pride in that you know, you feel like you're talking big and you know what you're talking about, but then you don't really know. And it can create fear both in yourself and in other people. It can create fear if you're afraid that other people will kind of find you out that you don't know what you're talking about. And it can create fear in other people that they feel like you really got it going on and you really know what you're talking about and they don't. So it can be alienating and it can cause kind of relational issues if we don't really understand where people are or what they're talking about. So it's just not good for relationships. It's not good for understanding. And I'm talking about, you know, the extra use of Christianese that's not necessary. There's always going to be some that's necessary. Remember the correct terminology and correct jargon kind of stuff where we need technical terminology for technical ideas? Some Christianese is always going to be necessary. And I'm all for that. We need that. But we also need to understand what those things are actually talking about. So send me a message if you think that I forgot some big ones. My husband reminded me of the term on mission, being on mission. And I'm like, I'm not even going to talk about that one. That one just irritates me. (laughs) 
<laughs> so on mission, I knew about it. I just skipped right over it. Um, but if there's some other ones that you're like, oh, my church uses that all the time, or you've never heard one or two of these, let me know what you think. And the ones that you know, or the ones that you use, are there some that you use all the time or others that you definitely don't use? Yeah. Which ones do you think are necessary and unnecessary? Let me know. You always know where my email is. It's in the show notes down at the bottom. And oh, in the show notes, I've also linked a few articles. I found a couple of articles that, and it was actually one of these articles that made me want to do this podcast episode. The first article link is for an article about the TV show Bluey. And if you don't have kids or you're not familiar, you should give it a watch. Uh, it's on Disney Plus. I don't know if it's anywhere else. It's an Australian show and it's really super short episodes. They're only like seven, eight minutes a piece. And they're really funny and cute and really well done. Like the writing for them is really well done. And this article is talking about Bluey and the conservative principles that are in Bluey and how they're kind of very different from other TV shows and how they do their TV shows and how basically Bluey exemplifies a lot of Christian principles. That's what the article is talking about. But the way this article talks about Bluey, and Bluey is not a Christian show, it just is a more conservative show, right? And this article is written by a conservative website, right? So I would expect it to talk from a conservative Christian viewpoint, but the Christianese in this article, I felt like the first couple of paragraphs were just dripping with it. And I thought, that's a shame because now I don't really want to send this article to anybody that's not a Christian because they might be really weirded out by all of this Christianese. And I read it over a couple of times. And the next couple of times that I read it, I was like, oh, it's not too bad. But at least that first read put me off to it and definitely put me off to sending it to much of anybody because of the amount of Christianese that was in it. So that's what got me started thinking about Christianese. And so if you want to read that one, it's just an interesting one to read. And the second article is written by a different Christian website, but it's talking about how cliches, and they're talking basically about Christianese, is really damaging to Christianity. And this is written by a very conservative uh, website. You, you probably know it, Focus on the Family. And I was just really surprised and really happy to see a very conservative organization talking about how Christianese can be really damaging and hurtful to Christians and Christianity. And that was really reassuring to me that I'm not the weirdo that thinks this. Okay, so we're going to stop there. Give those articles a look. Um, that second one is really short, but I think it's a really good one. So at least look at that one. And we're going to stop there. I hope you guys have a really good day. And I'll talk to you again another time. Bye. Bye.